our study in the book of Ruth, in Ruth chapter 3. As one such couple has celebrated a, a new marriage in their own family, as, as others think back on other, their own proposal and what that looked like, have you ever thought how what takes place in a proposal is influenced by culture? Think about it. Why is it we give a diamond ring to the lady in a proposal? Why is it traditional for a man to get down on one knee and propose? Why isn't the other way around? Why isn't the woman who asks? Why isn't it uh, something along the lines of a crown given instead of a ring? Why isn't it something more absurd given? Why do you, why do you not give a football in the proposal. Why do you not give a ticket or a necklace or whatever the case may be? Proposals are shaped by culture, which helps us to understand the book of Ruth a little bit better. You know, for me, it was proposing to Darcy on April Fool's Day. It was also Easter that year, which I forgot all about April Fool's Day. I got down, gave the ring, got down on one knee, and, and babbling like a, a knucklehead in it. But we see a different type of proposal here in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth goes to the threshing floor and actually asks Boaz. But culture influenced the why of this. Culture influenced the, the necessity of this approach. It wasn't just some absurd thing that just pops out of nowhere. Culture dictated the means and the model of this proposal. And that's what we're going to see as we open up Ruth 3 this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there to Ruth 3. It's there between uh, Judges and First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. Or you can look it up in the index uh, there in your Bible. While you're turning there, we have spent the last two weeks looking at the book of Ruth. Seeing how God's sovereign hand is orchestrating everything. He's orchestrating behind the scenes here in the events of the life of both Naomi and that of Ruth, and ultimately even that of Boaz. He is working out his plan of redemption, which we're going to continue to see unfold this morning in Ruth chapter 3. So with that, let's hear the word of the Lord from Ruth chapter 3, which is on the screen behind me. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came and softly came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. 
He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. And yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning he will redeem you. Good. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So that she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now, if I've studied the book of Ruth and Ruth chapter 3 correctly and, and understood its main idea and then therefore doing this whole preaching thing correctly and, and making the main idea of the text, the main idea of my sermon, this is the main idea. Absolutely nothing will disrupt God from bringing rest to his people. Therefore, we must patiently or we must wait patiently on him in faithfulness. Let me repeat that. Absolutely nothing will disrupt God from bringing rest to his people. Therefore, we must wait patiently on him in faithfulness. We're going to unfold this in two points. Our faithfulness in seeking rest. God's faithfulness in bringing rest. Our faithfulness in seeking rest and God's faithfulness in bringing rest. Let's look at the first point together. Our faithfulness in waiting rest. The author of Ruth has been making and giving little hints along the way as we read this, setting up a marriage proposal of Ruth and Boaz. God has been working behind the scenes, orchestrating every little detail of this. We've gotten glimpses in, in Ruth 1 uh, of the need of a redeemer. Ruth saying, I'm going to choose your people and your God is my God and my people. Then in, in chapter 2, we were introduced here. Boaz is a man in the family of Elimelech, a worthy man. And then he cared for Ruth, provided for her in everything he did. He looked out for her. It's setting up. The climax is building. And then when Ruth and, and Naomi interchanged after Ruth supposedly just happened to be in the field of Boaz... We see that Ruth tell, or Naomi tells Ruth, this is one of our redeemers. We had known that since the first, but towards the end of chapter 2, we learned that Boaz is a family redeemer. So 
the anticipation is there for the proposal. It's setting us up for this moment. But it also reveals something more. It doesn't just show us a story of romance. Ruth does that. And we should not dismiss that. Ruth is a beautiful love story. But it's something much more. It's faithfulness in the midst of this love story that we see here of Naomi, of Ruth, and of Boaz. We see them waiting as God is orchestrating this moment of proposal and their marriage union, which ultimately leads to that of Christ. But let's look in the order of the text at these three characters and their faithfulness. First, let's look at Naomi as she is first mentioned there in verses 1 through 5. It says there in, in verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, let me back up a minute. A lot of people, when they look at Ruth 3, 1 through 5, scholars who I greatly respect and trust, disagree here. A lot of people want to look at Naomi and think, this is a scandalous plan for Naomi. I mean, look, look at verse 3 here. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. I mean, whoa. Whoa. She's sending here Ruth, a single young lady, in the night, in the darkness, to a threshing floor where there's eating and drinking. That just seems to scream sexual immorality being set up, Right? That's where some scholars go. I'm actually going to disagree with those. And I think I'm going to show us why here from the text. Why Naomi here should not be viewed as one of scandalous, but a strategic, faithful woman of the Lord. First, notice back to chapter 2, verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Naomi has great care for Ruth in the daytime. She has great care and concern for her in the daytime when it should be easier and safer. How much more so is she going to care for her in the night and guard her? Naomi is going to care for Ruth's well-being even in the darkness of night. Again, remember that even that introduction. Proposals are set by culture and circumstance. They don't always make sense. But, notice something else back in Ruth 3.1. She says there, My daughter, Naomi to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. That it may be well with you. Here Naomi wants it to be well with her daughter-in-law Ruth. She wants her to find rest. Remember, Naomi has already realized what it means to go against the will of God. She has already seen what it is to stray from God in His counsel, in His ways. Her and her family moved to Moab to seek refuge instead of repenting and trusting in God. They had already tasted bitterness in the death of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and her two sons, Melhion and Chilion. They had tasted that suffering. 
She knows for it to be well with her, she needs to repent and to walk in God's ways. And therefore, for it to be well with Ruth, she does not need to danger her by going against God, who she has just praised, who has not forsaken the living or the dead. Why is she going to endanger this plan by rushing in haste and folly? Now, make no mistake, if Naomi indeed is acting as I don't get this, but if she is one that is acting in haste and rushing God's plan and sending Ruth into danger, sin is going on. Sin is going on if if that's the heart motive here. But again, I don't think that's it. I'm going to show further why. Look at at verse 2 there of chapter 3. Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Naomi is recalling Boaz's care for Ruth, his righteousness, his redemptive character. One who seeks God and all that he does. Naomi, as she makes this plan, is not sending Ruth out into danger just to anyone. She's not sending to one that is known for promiscuity, but one who is recognized even by his workers as a man of God. One who has already proven he's going to care for Ruth. So Naomi in faithfulness makes this plan to send Ruth to Boaz. To send her to propose to move this plan along. Naomi's faithfulness in the midst of all of this is remarkable. It's remarkable because here even in sending her, yes, it, it seems bad. It seems like, okay, this just doesn't seem right. But notice the careful instructions there in verse 4 of how Naomi instructs Ruth. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She sends him. Again, to some of us, this just screams, okay, something sexually immoral is about to happen. The, The uncovering of his feet. But notice what isn't happening either. We get the wrong picture here because of our influence, our culture. Here she's being told, uncover his feet. Why? I don't know how many of you have ever experienced a night sleeping out in the field, especially in a barn. That gust of wind comes through. You're going to feel it on those bare feet as they're uncovered. It's going to wake you. You're going to startle. But she tells Ruth, don't touch him. Touch his Blanket, uncover his feet. She's guarding her, Naomi is guarding Ruth from sexual immorality. She's guarding, saying, don't even be accused of touching him. Lie at his feet with them uncovered, allow the wind to wake him up, the coolness of the night air to wake him up. And then listen for him to instruct you. He's going to tell you what to do next. Naomi is remarkably faithful. She sees Boaz as the one to redeem her, to redeem their family, that God is providing a redeemer here in Boaz. Naomi's trying to help Ruth and care for what's well for her. She's being remarkably faithful in setting up a strategic plan to best care for another. Christians, as we await 
on God's redemption in Christ to be fully consummated? Are we seeking such strategic planning in pursuing faithfulness in our own lives? How many of us are sitting here strategically thinking, how can I walk in faithfulness in everything I do? How can I make plans that are faithful to God by making sure I keep what God has already commanded and that is sexual purity using the example of Ruth? Naomi could have been reckless. She could have said, Ruth, my dear, go down here. Here he's at the threshing floor. He's going to be drinking and full. He's going to be asleep. It's going to be in the middle of the night. I want you to touch him. I want you to entrap him into this. So now he has to take you and provide rest. Could have happened. She could have rushed God's hand by doing something that God's law forbids, but he would have been trapped by it. But that's not what Naomi does. She's faithful. She's faithful in caring for Ruth in such ways of helping her seek godliness. Christian, how are we helping one another pursue such godliness? How are we helping and enabling one another to go through this to be faithful? That's what we learn here from Naomi in the midst of Ruth 3. Faithful living calls us to look out for the best of one another. Not to push towards sin, but to stop sin from happening. To make sure rest is coming and each of us are walking and resting ultimately in Christ. That's how we're to live together. And Naomi models this beautifully for us. She cares for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now that she can see, she is able to figure out how she can care for Ruth the way Ruth has been caring for her. By pointing her to the one who can bring her that rest in Boaz. Christian, let us push each other to how we can find that rest in Jesus. That's how we model faithfulness and live faithfully with one another. But it's not just Naomi that shows us this plan. Yes, she, she has to, to send Ruth in the midst of this. Ruth knows the risk of it too. And that brings us to Ruth. And her faithfulness in the proposal. Notice what it says there in verse 5. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. All that Naomi has said, Ruth says, I will do. She knows the risk in the midst of it. Ruth counts the call. She knows that to go out in the middle of the darkness means that her safety is at risk being around other men. She knows that false accusations can fly against her. She knows that if she is seen in the middle of the night there at Boaz's feet, that accusations can fly. I mean, how fast do gossip chains begin to spread? All it takes is one person to see her and falsely accuse her. Look at that Moabite. She's gone and done Moabite things. She knows the risk, though. And yet she goes despite the risk. Because she sees that there is faithfulness in this plan. She sees that Boaz indeed is worthy of being one to redeem her. So she goes. She does just as her mother well says. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Ruth carries out this plan in faithfulness. She knows the risk, but yet she goes anyways. 
But notice this in verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. The plan works. Ruth doesn't touch Boaz. She, she uncovers the blanket, and the feet startles him and wakes him up. And Boaz questions. There in verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. But here's where Ruth's model of faithfulness comes in, Christian friend. Look there in the middle of verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In case you've forgotten or, or weren't with us, look back to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz is speaking to Ruth here. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz acknowledges Ruth as the one who has come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. His very prayer is for God to care and provide for her. And Ruth, in stating this, is saying, Boaz, the answer to your prayer is you. The answer to your prayer for my care is you. Whoa. Ruth wants Boaz to be that answer to her prayer, to be that refuge, to be that provision of rest and blessing her through him. As he prayed this, Ruth is now reminding him of what he has said. Now, this may have first been lost on us, but notice it is not lost on Boaz. Notice his response there in verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. Boaz knows that she could have gone after the younger men within the town to seek remarriage and provision for. But she would have disowned God's plan and law. Because God's law and and instructions call for those widowed to, who without children to seek a family redeemer. One who could redeem the dead and care for the widowed. It would have gone against God's plan. But Ruth could have easily solved this. Here she is, a young woman, and yet she's not gone after younger men. Boaz doesn't miss the proposal question here. He gets it. He says, whoa, like... Wow, Ruth, you, like, I'm stunned. I'm speechless. Like, you're faithful in this. He continues on just praising Ruth for her faithfulness here. There in verse 10, it goes on, or verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. This isn't just anybody who's come to Boaz. He knows, even that of the town knows how worthy she is. She's faithful. She's faithful to Naomi. She's faithful now to God. She is fully turned from sins and resting in God for her refuge and provision. She knows and understands God's ways are better than the ways of the world. Worldliness would have told her to go after the younger men, whether rich or poor. To go after looks and youth and vigor instead of an older man. 
But godliness tells her otherwise. Keep God's law above all else. Forsake human wisdom that is folly. The same human wisdom that led the Romans and the Jews to crucify Jesus Christ. The same folly of wisdom that led the Corinthians to think that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament, wasn't worthy as a teacher because he suffered and was weak. Do you see how human wisdom is folly? That worldly wisdom is folly. It redirects our eyes on things it shouldn't be. Yet godly wisdom here, as Ruth is seeking, leads her to faithfulness, to observe God's law, to keep it no matter what. Christian, are you living a life so faithful that you're pursuing God's ways in his law and obedience to it above all else, no matter how foolish it seems to the world around us? The world around us is going to continue to press in and say, this is what the culture demands. This is how it should be. And yet, despite it, godly wisdom keeps us grounded in God's word in obedience to it. That is what faithful living looks like, Christian. What pressures of the world are causing you to deny the truths of the Bible? The truths and instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can get so caught up in means to thinking, oh, this is what now works in culture. This is what's popular in culture that we miss it. We give way by these cultural pressures and think this is wise because it seems culturally appropriate in the moment. Instead of checking it against God's word. Again, using Ruth as the example that she is. Worldly wisdom tells her to go after the young man, to have a long and happy marriage, pursuing the interest of their own hearts. Godly wisdom says, no, go after the one I have set up for you. Go after the one who is, yes, older, but godly. And Ruth gladly goes after the godly because she believes it is far better. She believes doing it the right way, following Naomi's careful instructions the right way and protecting herself against sexual immorality is right and good, no matter what culture says. She pursues it faithfully because she knows God's way is better. Friend, I don't know where you are in your walk, but are you pursuing godliness above how you're seen in the world? Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost, no matter the risk, and yet seeing him as worthy of following, seeing that his ways are far better? Let that be the case. But we have one other example of faithfulness here. We, we've seen that of Naomi and Ruth, and now we see the faithfulness of Boaz. He's already addressed who Ruth is as, as a worthy woman. But look there in, in verse 12 with me. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz wants to marry Ruth. There's not a, a shadow of doubt. He recognizes her worthiness. 
But Boaz's faithfulness shines through here even in this moment. One, he could have not told her of the other redeemer. And yet he's transparent and honest. He says that there's one nearer than I. But you know what, Ruth? I want you to have rest. I'm going to care for you still. This matter is about to be settled. I'm going to go and settle this matter. Either he will or I will. You're going to find your rest. Boaz is the rest that Ruth seeks, that Naomi seeks for Ruth. Boaz is the one who is going to bring that rest ultimately. But even in the midst of waiting, Boaz gives her a sign, a promise. You will find your rest one way or the other. And look at how he gives that assurance. There in verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor, guarding her. Here, here he is guarding her from false accusation of sexual immorality because nothing happened. Then in, in verse 15, he said, and he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz gives the sign of the six measures of barley. That's three two-liter Coca-Colas and four 12-ounce cans of drink worth of barley. That's a good bit of barley for one night. Especially since he's about to settle the matter of rest and need of provision that day. Boaz gives her this sign of sending her back full as a means that this is going to be settled. This is the sign that your rest is coming. Boaz was faithful in the moment to care for Ruth, even as it waits on the decision that would come later that day. Faithfulness is carried out in the midst of everything we do as a Christian. Faithfulness is to be what we pursue above all else. Even as we heard in our Sunday school lesson this morning from James chapter 1, that just hearing God's word and not doing, being obedient doesn't matter. You can know the Bible from beginning to end, backwards and forwards. You can know every doctrine there is, but unless it affects your life, Christian, you are not living in faithfulness. Godly living is affected by doing God's word, holding to it, allowing it to shape us and to guide us in every aspect of life. So it doesn't matter whether we're a widowed woman or a man seeking to be a faithful landowner. Faithfulness shines through in how we live. Christian, that's what our lives are to do. How are you rightly applying God's word to your lives, to where you're at? It's going to look different in different circumstances, but nonetheless, it is always, always a right application of God's word comes from what he has clearly commanded. They never contradict one another. Wrong application can come from a wrong misinterpretation of God's word, but right application always comes from rightly understanding God's word. 
It's built upon that. It leads us to faithfulness. Let us follow the examples that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz had given us in their seeking of faithfulness in the midst of it all, in the midst of the unknown. Let us pursue that same kind of faithfulness. Let us see that his ways are better. Why did Naomi come up with a strategic plan? Because she knew God's ways were better. Why did Ruth seek faithfulness even in the midst of risk? Because she knew his ways were better. Why did Boaz seek to be faithful in the midst of it all? Because he knew God's ways are better. Christian, if you're struggling with belief and obedience, maybe we need to ask ourselves, do we truly see God's ways as better? Or do we see the ease of the world as better? If we see God's ways are better, we will seek to faithfully follow them. Yes, we'll have our own shortcomings in the midst. We'll have our doubts. But over and all, by and by, we're going to be faithful and waiting. But why is it we wait? Why is it we pursue faithfulness in the midst of it? Is it so that we can earn our salvation? No. It's because of the salvation already shown and offered to us. And that's where we turn in our second point. God's faithfulness in bringing rest. Again, the morning came. Boaz and Ruth parted before daylight ever breaks. He gives Ruth the sign of sending her back, not empty-handed, but with these six measures of barley, these six and a half liters of drink. If you want to compare it that way to, to have a better understanding of the amount. He sends her back with this. Boaz is faithful to provide. And yet, yet, notice what else is there in our text this morning. Look at verse 18 with me. Naomi to Ruth, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth can finally rest. She can finally have her rest because Boaz is going to settle the matter and nothing, nothing is going to disrupt his plan from seeking the answer to the question. Who will redeem Ruth will be settled that day. Nothing is going to interrupt him. Nothing will stop him from seeking the answer to this and putting the question to end. He's going to close the matter. Boaz gives assurance in his provision of these six and a half or six measures of barley. And Naomi encourages Ruth to find your rest in that. Christian, I want you to think of another who promises rest and gives us that type of assurance. Jesus, the very one who comes from this plan of Boaz and Ruth, Jesus comes from their birth line. They fathered Obed and Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. And who's the son of David but Jesus Christ the King? This sovereign plan God was orchestrating for his purposes, for his own 
plan of redemption. And like nothing is going to stop Boaz from bringing rest to Ruth, nothing is going to stop God's plan of redemption from coming to completion. He planned before the foundation of the world that those he called to himself will be saved, giving that guarantee of assurance. And he's carried out this plan from the beginning that Jesus Christ is the one who is going to come and bring redemption. That Jesus Christ is the one who's going to come and lay down his life in order to save. God's perfect plan of redemption is carried out in the Son in his perfect obedience to the law. His sacrificial death on the cross and then his rising from the grave. God's perfect plan of redemption comes to completion. And we see this all throughout the Bible of how this plan is unfolding. We see it most clearly in the Gospels of who Jesus is and what he came to do. This plan is unfolded as the Apostle Paul will later note that the mysteries were hidden from the ages in past. So these were hidden in the days of Ruth and Boaz, but they're made clear to us in Jesus. Salvation has come. God's plan of redemption has come in Jesus. And nothing, nothing will stop him from bringing that to perfect completion. If you have been following Christ for some time, you're thinking, wait, hasn't that day already come? No, not yet. Already, but not yet. Our faith journey begins at the moment of salvation, but it is not finished there. It's finished through a life of holding fast to Jesus and Him alone. We keep pressing, we keep hoping in the midst of darkness around us because of who Jesus is and knowing that God's plan will not be stopped. Nothing will hinder his plan. I don't care how dark the world seems around us. Christian, if you think that by election or by different things that somehow God's plans are going to be stopped, you're blind. And yes, I say that, and it may seem harsh, but I want us to see who God is. Nothing, nothing stops His plans. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in, in missing who God is that we think of Him as a small God. We think He needs our help, or, or if things don't look a certain way, that somehow it's not going to come together. Christians see who our God is. There is nothing going to get in his way. Even the fact that he gave his one and only son to die for us on the cross. How much more is he going to move heaven and earth to make sure his plan comes to completion? Christian, are you resting in this? Friend, if you're here this morning and you have never believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ... This is what you're to rest in. This promise of God's faithfulness in Jesus. Rest in it. Rest in Him alone. Christian, our salvation doesn't begin the moment we walk an aisle. It does not begin the moment we are baptized. Our salvation begins the moment we profess faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. 
And because of that, we need to hold to that. Salvation begins and is anchored in belief in God's plan of redemption through his son, Jesus. We need to rest in that. That's why we pursue faithfulness. Because this plan has already come in Jesus. We seek to be faithful because of the salvation already made available to us in him. Our faithfulness comes as an overflow of worship in seeing how worthy our God is of praise and living our lives for. Christian, follow Jesus in faithfulness and rest your salvation in him and him alone and the work he has already accomplished. That is where salvation comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your